Welcome to the Post-Christian Podcast. My name is Eric Bryant. I'm one of the executive pastors at Gateway in Austin, Texas. My foundation exists to equip and empower church leaders in reaching new people and raising up leaders. I'm the author of Not Like Me and Fruitful, Becoming Who God Created You to Be. Join me on social media for Through the New Testament for Skeptics and Seekers. And be sure to sign up for my email newsletter where you can receive free resources at ericbryant.org. Today on our episode of the Post-Christian Podcast, I'm excited to have with me Mike D. Virgilio. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. It's, a, it's an honor and a privilege. Well, I'm excited to have you as well and to hear more of your story. Uh, you grew up Catholic, I went did. off to college, and if I remember right, had a couple Jesus freaks living nearby. Indeed, that me. is the story. Tell the story of how uh, uh, a young man goes off to college, instead of leaving faith, finds faith. Talk about that for a moment. I'm stubborn. That's one thing. But uh, no, uh, there's a great poem in the late in the 1890s called The Hound of Heaven. And it's just God was always after me. I mean, I couldn't escape, basically. So several things happened, and I won't get into that. But in, in my high school years, and even before that, and I was always thinking of the bigger things. And then <clears throat> lo and behold, I uh, go off to Arizona State University because I'm from LA. And uh, I moved next door, literally next door in the in the dorm to two Jesus freaks, you know, and that was 1978. So the, the whole Jesus movement and the hippies and all, these guys weren't, but uh, they invited me to a Bible study. <clears throat> it was the perfect question for me was, would you like to come in? be part of a Bible study to see what the Bible says about who Jesus is. And I was always, as a, even a young person, intrigued with the person of Jesus, and it was just the right question. And then I saw what it said, and the Catholic upbringing gave me a respect for the Bible, and I instantly believed it. Mm. You know? And then fighting against the left liberal agnostic atheists in the college environment, <clears throat> I'm, I'm that kind of person. If you If you do something like that and reject me, I'm just going to be more stubborn for it. So <laughs> that's well, how I lasted. Well, and I, I want to talk about that because it really led to you to a love of apologetics. And more recently, you've written a book called Uninvented, Why the Bible Could Not Be Made Up and the Evidence That Proves It. I want to talk about some of that evidence because I think in our increasingly post-Christian world, skepticism, cynicism runs high Mm. Uh, truth seems to be relative, but talk about some of the findings that you share in your book. I'm eager to hear some of that evidence. Thank you. Uh, well, when I, I wrote uh, a first book called The Persuasive Christian Parent, How to Build an Enduring uh, Faith in You and Your Children, and in my study for that, I kept coming across this idea that a certain story or stories, narratives in the Bible could not be invented or made up. And the reason I wrote the book is because I think most Christians, well, all conservative Christians do not believe the Bible is just myths, fairy tales, fiction. But could it be? Could it be made up? And I, in the back of my own mind, and I've been pretty familiar with apologetics for much of my life, I thought, well, maybe. And then as I studied more and more and came across this argument, it was like, wow. And then I began to see it all throughout the Bible in my reading and writing I just like, wow, so I should write a book about this. And that's how the book came out, because I want my brothers and sisters in Christ to realize the confidence. See, we've been on the defensive for 300 years, 
And uh, there's something called biblical criticism I go over in the first chapter. And, and it's just been this hermeneutics of suspicion. In other words, interpreting the biblical text, it's just not true. And if it is, you have to prove it as the Christian. And I want to turn the tables on the skeptics and cynics and say, well, if you believe it's made up, then you, the burden of proof is on you too, not just on us. Yeah. And it's amazing because most people have no idea about the Jewish nature of Jesus' world and how that would make it so difficult to make up what we read in our Bibles. Well, yeah, and talk about that. I mean, really, coming out of the Jewish people, the Hebrew scriptures, and then those who are first following Jesus, of course, were Jewish. Their regard for truth, the way they would write and and kept, you know, the the the, the text was so important that they would make copies and copies and pass it around. Maybe share a little bit about some of the textual criticism and how remarkable it is that we have so many manuscripts of the Bible. Just talk about that for a moment. Well, it's it's interesting because if you ask the average secular person, and we 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 swim in secular culture today, which is skeptical about anything biblical. <clears throat> so if if you ask the average person, you know, why? Do you believe that the Bible is God's inerrant, authoritative word? He could communicate through human beings, and they'll go, no, because, you know, it was written a long time ago, and it was written by people, and it's just basically the the telephone game, you know? So you, you, you'd say one thing, and but what they don't understand is that um, ancient culture was very uh, oral, and memorizing things <clears throat> was hugely important because most people – couldn't read or write. So things had to be done and memorized. So there's a whole, uh, uh, so <laughs> the, the biblical text is, was faithfully written down to the degree that even biblical critics and, and liberal non-Christian scholars agree that what we have today is pretty much was what was written in the first century. Many errors are just minuscule. Yeah, And there's various arguments for that. But what's really powerful is that something I, I talk about um, called recollective memory. I don't know if you've heard of Richard Bauckham. He wrote a, a book called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. And he says, you know, if something's really traumatic and emotional to you, you will remember it with great detail. So for, for most of people might listening or <clears throat> you and I, 9-11, you know, I remember Every moment of that, when my, my wife comes in, I'm getting ready for work and she's freaking out. I mean, I could see everything. So I argue in the book that Jesus was so unexpected and the Jews had been waiting 400 years for their Messiah. And Jesus was, I call him a first century rock star. And you simply can't make him up or distort him beyond recognition. And, and this idea of recollective memory, Jesus was really that uh traumatic to people hmm. as he was so unexpected yeah well and to that point the eyewitnesses who saw him crucified then saw him alive later i mean that has got to fit in that same category and especially the jewish nature of the world because there is no in fact i quote an author in a book called the giza vermes he's a jewish historian and he says there was literally zero expectation in any of the writings of either a virgin birth or a crucifixion of, of the Messiah. None. Now, he's Jewish, so he still doesn't believe that. But how do you make this up? I mean, how do first century Jews, something that's inconceivable to them, 
literally, it's impossible to imagine. All of a sudden, the skeptic or cynic say, no problem, make it up. Yeah, they did. You know, because look at little baby Jesus on Christmas. We have a bias <laughs> of 2,000 years of Christian history. He's like, oh, sure, the shepherds, that's so cute. Yeah, that'd be an easily made up. And Jews just don't. They really do not. Resurrection of one man in the middle of history? They just, I just don't know how. <clears throat> so I, that's why I've come to the conclusion, given, and it's shocking that in the history of biblical criticism, the Jewish nature of Jesus's world was ignored until probably the 1970s. You know, it's a very good point. The, the um, Reformation, of course, some amazing things, important things happened, but there was not a fullness of understanding of the Hebrew scriptures. It's almost a lot of what Calvin and Luther were doing was forgetting about Israel and Jesus being the fulfillment of the true Israel through whom mm. salvation came to all nations. He fulfilled what Amen. Israel <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. What are some other um, helpful things you've discovered that has helped skeptics give the Bible a chance? Yeah. So I encourage Christians and encourage Christians who are talking to non-Christians to read the Bible through an un uninvented lens. And um, I was originally going to call the book a really stupid title called uh, Psychological Apologetics, but nobody would have known what the heck that meant. But what it, as I begin to understand this concept more and more, I begin to read the text and see in the characters a psychology that's real. So I use a term called verisimilitude, which is a uh, just means if it, it seems real, it appears real. So if you're reading a work of fiction or you're watching a movie or TV, and if it's if it has verisimilitude, you buy in. You're like, wow, you're emotionally involved. But if it's not done well, you're just you're checking out. So the Bible has ver verisimilitude in spades. I mean, everywhere. People react like real human beings experiencing real things and you know and remember that fiction didn't exist in the ancient world so hmm. modern fiction the way we think of writing things that are not true as if they were and doing it in a, a narrative fashion so that people actually believe it that just didn't exist uh -huh. so and when you read the uh, the whole bible but when you read the gospels i mean it's just genius yeah you know yeah so well and it's Beautiful, the way God has inspired these men and women who wrote mm -hmm. down what he put on their hearts. And and there was a veracity that people, like you said, uh, would trust. Okay, if Paul wrote this, then I'm going to read it. You know, and they passed it from person to person, from church to church. And so we have volumes of manuscripts. The veracity. It's, an, it's embarrassing. In my first book, I talk about the, the, the riches we have of versus Plato or Caesar or any Herodotus, all of them. I yeah. Mean, even we don't even have any of Shakespeare's complete works. Right. You know, and that was just 500 years ago. But for right. the New Testament 2000 years ago and the Old Testament before that, we can trust that what we have is what God intended. And now, obviously, there's a whole nother need to jump in, read it try to understand the context and interpret it and apply it. But you've done a great job. I'm excited to read it of explaining how the Bible could not be made up. There's evidence that proves that. It's called Uninvented. Mike is kind enough to give out a few free copies to those who uh, send in an email. Just make sure you sign up for my email newsletter. You can visit Mike at his website, Mike D. 
Virgilio at that's Mike D V I R G I L I O dot com. Mike, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us on the Post Christian Podcast. More resources available at ericbryant.org.